out the 10 most common fears in the world. And I thought about doing like a family feud for this side versus this side. You'd have to guess the 10 answers on the board, but I thought I might get fired. So I figured I wouldn't do that. So uh, what I do want us to do is in order to promote camaraderie and support, if you deal with one of these, we want you to raise your hand so that you can look around and maybe you can start a support group or something like that. And we'll know we're there. And I'll participate too. I'll do it as well. So uh, number 10, this is the one I don't think anybody would have guessed if we had um, the family feud. Apparently a lot of people deal, deal with the fear of holes. I guess they're scared of falling on one or one like appearing out of nowhere. I don't know what it is, but they have fear of holes. Uh, number nine is the fear of flying. How many of you have fear of flying? Now that's me. I'm not in control, so I'm not liking it. Right? That's that's me. Randy got two hands up back there. Uh, the fear of germs, uh, not just like now, but all the time. Uh, fear of germs. Uh, if you had your choice, you would carry a 20-gallon bucket of hand sanitizer everywhere you go, and just hand sanitize you and everyone else around you. Um, claustrophobia, you got the fear of small spaces, right? So I didn't think I had this uh, until my son dropped his passive underneath his bed last week, and I went to go down to get it, and so I had like a mild panic to get back. So apparently, I have that now, and the bad thing was I was all by myself, so if something that would happen, I would just sit there in fear forever. Um, the, the fear of thunder or lightning, alright? We don't like thunder or lightning. My wife raised her hand, I didn't know that. That's that. Okay, um, <laughs> fear of dogs. We don't like dogs. Not, not like just ugly ones, just dogs in general, okay? The fear of open or crowded spaces. You don't like being in a big crowd, alright? You don't like being, okay. Uh, the fear of heights. Raise your hand, okay? Here's something that you. I want you to feel better about. At least you weren't the tallest kid in your school and had the fear of heights. <laughs> Apparently, people like to make fun of people like that. Um, that was mean. And I think if we, we guess, these would be the two highest ones. Uh, number two is the fear of snakes. Right? I don't fear snakes, I just don't like it. Right? I, I like, some people are just absolutely petrified of snakes. Same thing true for me, at least for number one, that's the fear of spiders. I mean, fear of spiders. Okay? We don't like spiders. Once again, not not scared of them, I'm just going to squish them immediately when I see them. Right? That's, that's what it is. I do have one word though this morning uh, that makes most Christians uh, afraid. Evangelism. <coughs> Sometimes when we hear that, and we've been in the church for a while, when we hear evangelism, we start getting cold sweats, we start squirming in our chair a little bit, we start <coughs> trying to figure out if there's something that we need to do at home so I can get up and act like it's an emergency and not have to hear another sermon about evangelism. But evangelism is, is kind of important. This series is called Party Invitations because we see in Revelation there's this party that happens. It's the wedding feast of the bride of Christ and in Jesus. And the bride of Christ is the church. And we see that what kind of kicks off eternity is this wedding feast where there's no longer any conflict. There's no more divisions between God and His church. And it's depicted here in Revelation 19, starting in verse 6. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. 
fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And so last week, we, we kind of said that on a party invitation, you've kind of got four, four fill-in-the-blanks. You've got the two from the location and your desire for them to RSVP. And so last week we, we said, who is this to? And, and the answer that we see here and the answer that we see throughout the Gospels is that Jesus wants everyone invited to this. No matter your background, no matter your skin color, no matter what you've said and what you've done, God wants you there. And so he has invited everyone and in fact has designed everyone for a relationship with him. So the second question is from, who is it that is inviting these people to this party. And this is where evangelism comes in. Now, maybe you have legitimate reasons for not evangelizing. There's actually some phobias that go along with not necessarily evangelism, but uh, the fear of maybe some certain aspects of it. There's glossophobia. That's the fear of public speech. You don't like getting up in front of people and, and speaking out and seeing people's eyes on you and all that serious stuff. Um, there's rabdophobia. There's, that's the fear of being severely punished or criticized. You're afraid that if you put yourself out there on that limb, someone's going to come behind you and the chainsaw is going to come down. And you're going to fall and it's going to hurt and you're going to be ridiculed and everyone's going to make fun of you. There's uh, scopophobia. That's the fear of being seen or being stared at. So you would really hate my job right now. Um, <laughs> You just don't, you like to blend in. You don't want to stick out. You don't want people's eyes on you. You don't like attention. You like to just kind of be a part of a crowd instead of being someone who's at the focal point. You know, evangelism means someone's going to have to look at you. Maybe you just have sociophobia. Sociophobia is that you're just scared of society and people in general. You just, you fear people. You fear their uh, capabilities. You fear their judgments. You just fear all of them. And while these are legitimate conditions, and maybe we do share some of these things, the truth of the matter is, if we're really honest about evangelism, what holds us back from evangelism isn't a phobia. It's a preference. It's not something that we're genuinely scared of. It's something that we would just prefer not to do. I kind of define Christian evangelism so often, especially in the American churches, what we hope every other Christian is doing. Because we know that it's important, and we know that we need to do it, and so we hope that all those other good Christians in the church are doing it, so that we don't have to. Maybe that's one of the preferences we have, that it is someone else's job. Someone who's more qualified, someone who knows a little bit more about the Bible, someone who's more outgoing. Maybe it's their job to go and tell other people. Maybe if we're really honest with ourselves, the reason that we don't do it is because we have a bit of prejudice in our life. Because we don't see other people as equal, maybe because of their economic status or born or the color of their skin, we don't really want to spend eternity with them, so we kind of keep things to ourselves. Maybe if we're really honest, we prefer to tell people that they're going to hell rather than they can go to heaven. And we really like being legalistic and putting people down and telling people how awful they are. But the truth of the matter is that there's one thing that I think we all share. And I think that the majority of us just don't think our story is good enough. The majority of us have probably sat in a church service where we sat in a great meeting and we heard someone get up and tell this story and it brought you to tears and you know, yeah, that's, that's a great story. I don't have anything like that. I don't have anything like that. Maybe my story is always grew up in church and you sing every once in a while, but I'm pretty okay. And you're like, oh, 
have a deep, dark past that you've been trying to hide, and you know that nobody wants to hear about that too. Well, we just convince them nobody knows our story, so we keep it to ourselves. But there's something that we need to understand this morning. You see, there's a good chance that when you're watching television and a certain commercial comes on, there's a black and white filter on it, there's a really mainly looking animal behind behind a fence and Sarah McLaughlin singing in the background. And you just feel terrible about that dog. I'm not, I'm not making light of this, by the way. I, you feel terrible about that dog. You wish someone would go and you would adopt that dog. And I follow some of you on Facebook, and you're so, so very fast to share when someone's lost a dog, a cat, a gerbil, whatever it is that, that is lost, and so you send it out. And I'm not, not trying to make light of this because I think as, as creations of God and as mankind, we're supposed to look out for uh, God's creation. But the thing is, if, if you deeply care for the fact that these animals are lost, shouldn't you care more that people have... news and it's so cool of someone abusing someone else, a kid being caught in the middle of something or a domestic violence situation and you just see injustice everywhere and it just burns you up as it rightfully should, shouldn't it do you just get absolutely infuriated with the fact that sin has so many people and that it's abusing so many people and mistreating so many people. You see, the truth of the matter is that people need the story. People need the story because without it, they'll keep being lost and they'll keep being held captive. 2 Corinthians 5 is where we are today. In verse 11, Paul says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Paul says, if we have experienced this, if we know what it is that God has sent Jesus to the earth, then we have, we have an obligation to go and tell others about it. We have an obligation to tell people the story. And here's something that I don't know if a minister has ever said to you, but the more that we read scripture, the more we understand this. Evangelism is a command. It's not a suggestion. So many of us believe like you, you get baptized, you get saved, and then there's like seven steps up, and that's when you're allowed to go evangelize. Like you have to work your way up to it. God only wants those really... Good people that have got it all together. What we see is if you've experienced it, you have to tell about it. In fact, the Bible tells us that if we know the good that we ought to do and we don't do it, then it's a sense. And so the realization that we have to make is that evangelism is not a suggestion. It's what we were called to do if we're Christians. And so this morning, I want to help us out. I want to help us out because you may not think that you have a good story. But which your story has in common with my story and that really powerful story that you heard maybe one time in camp is that they're actually all the same. There may be some details that are a little bit different, but they're all the same. And as we track through 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to kind of see this play out. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is having to give a defense of his ministry. There's some, he has gone away, all right? He doesn't stay in one place for a very long time, so he's gone away. And he's writing back to the Corinthians because people are coming in and they're starting to kind of badmouth Paul. And the, maybe the gist of, um, of their criticism of Paul is two things. Number one, that he's on a high horse and he's better than everyone else. And the other part is that he's crazy. Right? So these are the, the two criticisms that people are coming in and trying to get people to believe. 
and believe about Paul. So Paul is kind of defending himself, but in doing so, he kind of lays out for us how we give a defense of ourselves. And so 2 Corinthians 5 continues and says, What we are is plain to God. And I hope that it's also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend yourself to yourselves to you again. Let me uh, start to read. All right. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. Paul is trying to tell them, listen, we are the same people that came there and talked to you about Jesus. We have not changed. We don't think that we're better than anyone else. What we are is plain to you, and it's plain to God. So when someone comes and tells about how arrogant we are, we hope that you'll tell them, no, that's, that's just Paul. We just know it. We know who they are. And what we gather out of that when it comes to evangelism is this. is what, What's common about your story and my story is, is that what we are is, is plain. We are nothing special. And in and of ourselves, we are not good enough to earn anything from God. There's nothing special about us. Maybe you've gotten some uh, position that has made you special within your company. Maybe you've, you've got some money. Maybe something that's told you you're special. I mean, maybe you're, you got like a blue ribbon for finishing last, but still told us you're special. Like every, you get told you're special all the time, but, but really we're nothing, we're nothing special. The Bible says that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We're all... We're all in this mess. And there's nothing that you and I can do to earn the grace of God. That's above our pay grade. It's literally impossible for us. And so what does this part of story tell others? It tells others, listen, we're just like you. So many people out there believe that Christians think that they're better than everyone else. And that's not true. Christians understand that we were all in this mess. We were all messed up. We were all lost. And so our story continues as Paul continues. He says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And so the first part of our story is that there's nothing special about us. And we can't find God on our own. The second part of our story is that we believe that we were purchased with a price. Someone else paid the price that we most definitely cannot pay ourselves. Paul says, listen, people are going around saying that I'm out of my mind. If I'm out of my mind, it's because I'm doing what God calls me to do. He says, but the reason I do what I do is because I believe, and he says, it's Christ's love that compels me, and I believe that Jesus died for all, and so that's the motivation behind everything that I do. Everything that I say and the way that I treat people. And so our story is that we were purchased with a price. Unable to do it on our own, we believe that Jesus really did die forever. And so what this ought to tell others is that it should tell them they are so loved that they were purchased with. See, we believe that Jesus died for all. We believe that Jesus didn't just go to the cross and have a list and say, yes, 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 okay, let's go. No, Jesus spread his arms wide and cross forever. Even if people did not accept him, it doesn't mean that he didn't die for them. It just means that they never accepted that gift. Jesus willingly went there knowing that people may not accept him, but he did it so that everyone would know that they're loved. 
And so our stories that were nothing special and were not good enough, and yet we were perfect with the price. And the third part of our story here is 2 Corinthians 5 15. Excuse me. It says, And he died for us all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. It says, the third part of our story says, we're changed because of experiences. The third part of our story is when you became a Christian and you went back to where you used to not be a Christian and they asked tables of your weird. You have to say, well, something's changed. It means I don't do the things I used to do, say to try not to do the things I used to do, say the things I used to say, be who I used to be because I believe. And I believe something's changed. Paul says if we've experienced this goodness, if we've experienced what God has done, then we should not live for ourselves anymore. We look for something higher and something better. We, we, we serve a God who was raised again. And so what this tells other people is that without Jesus, you can't live forever, much less live the life that you're supposed to live now. Jesus says that I have come to give you life and life to the fullest. In other words, the best way, the only way to live the best life that you can on this earth is through Jesus. And the only way that you can live life forever is through Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, neither one of these is a possibility. And so we go into this world as someone who has changed because we realize that Jesus is helping us live our life day by day by day. And we tell people that we change because we want them to know that they can change too. Now I want you to think about the testimonies that you've heard. I want you to think about the life that you live and the testimony you have. And yes, there are some variances, but I'm pretty sure that they all had three. We once were lost, but now we're found. And now we're changed. But I may have made a mistake, and I've tried not to, as I've told, done this sermon this morning. This story that I keep talking about, it's not actually yours. It's not actually mine. Paul continues, he says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the story is that we were hopeless, that we were per uh, purchased, and that we were changed. It is not our story. It's God's. It's the story how God so desperately loves his people. And so I want you to know this way, God is not sending you as theological giants. 
He's not sending you to make sure that you have a thousand percent accurate answer for every theological discussion you ever have. He is not sending you as someone with a master of divinity. He's not sending you as someone who is who knows everything. He is sending you because you have something that the world desperately needs. 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slave. <coughs> Peter says, go. God is sending you. Always be prepared to give the right answer to every single question. Go and tell people why you have hope. Go and tell people why you smile and everyone else is smiling. Go and tell people why you really believe that there's going to be this party in heaven and that you're invited and everyone else is good. Go and tell people why you have hope. You see, you are sent as someone who has experienced this reconciliation to God. And you need to tell others that God wants to do the same thing in their lives that he has done in yours. So the realization that we need to make this morning is this. If there really is this postcard, and God's sending it, in the two section, it has individually every single person's name in it. But the front section does not say your name. It does not say my name. It does not say East Forty Church. It doesn't say. In fact, if it, if it said, I don't know that it would say words. I think it would simply have the cross. Because the cross is the symbol for the entire world to know that we love. And that there's a way to be Notice what it says. It says, We are Christ's ambassadors. Because God is making his appeal through us. You don't have to be a theological giant. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be anything like that. All you have to do is be a postal worker who carries the message of Jesus to everybody else. It's his message, not yours. But your story is his story. 